As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Thank you, Lee. Alex Kirshner. So a funny thing happened today. Game times were announced by a certain four-letter network. And both of us were very excited. Miami and Alabama announced. Georgia Clemson announced. Notre Dame FSU announced. Louisville Ole Miss announced. It's sort of the first harbinger that football is on its way. It's coming. And what's interesting that in our youthful zeal for the sport to return, we were wet blanketed by someone who has seen it all, done it all, is too curmudgeonly to be moved by it. So I figured what I would do is... This week, I would bring on a guest uh, who, who you know, is, is familiar with that line of thinking, uh, just so we can sort of finally have somebody on this show to, to sort of counterbalance us uh, age-wise. Uh, Stephen Godfrey, uh, welcome to the show. You don't have to consume it all. Why wouldn't I, though? Because there's only one good game in that lineup. You, it's, more, it's, it's Labor Day. Know, it's I, Labor I, Day I, weekend. You know what's so and... sad is that, like, I'm not even doing this for a bit. I'm not even doing this to play foil. I used to feel exactly like you guys. And I saw that list. I saw that lineup come out today and I was like, fucking Notre Dame on Sunday. Oh, God. You have you, know, you have a child's birthday that weekend, if I recall correctly. What are the actual, can someone run down the actual, first off, because I guarantee you. Yeah, the Saturday is the fourth. Our, lo- the well, Saturday our, our loyal 4th. listeners, are, are, there's probably one or two loyal listeners who don't know exactly what we're talking about. So they these all four are ESPN Everybody family games. Someone's first. Right. Um, it is, oh man, I don't have the graphic in front of me. Who has the graphic in front of them? It's, I have it. I've got it. I, you know, I've got oh. it right here, Stephen. Um, <laughs> Miami and Alabama in Atlanta at 3.30 Eastern time mm-hmm. on Saturday, September 4th. Makes sense. It's an ABC game. Totally makes sense. Nightcap, 7.30 Eastern, uh, in Charlotte, Georgia uh, against big one. Clemson. Yeah, that's the that game. Is, that's, uh, the... that's certainly the, that's the, that's the main card. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame and Florida State on Sunday at 7.30 Eastern, because remember, this is the one week before the NFL gets into the pool on Sundays, mm-hmm. so college football neutral has to get that. It's in Tallahassee. It's in Tallahassee, Great. I do believe. Uh, and Louisville and Ole Miss on Monday night in Atlanta, uh, kind of the, the nightcap to the whole weekend, so to speak, at 8 on ESPN. And that uh, is the one that I most enjoy because it's going to be 
kind of a mess. Uh, even though it's Labor Day, and even though he purports to hate his own alma mater, I'm sure that Stephen will be watching. <laughs> no, I mean this is the most. He's more of an addict than he admits. This is the most entertaining my alma mater has ever been because it is such a. I mean, look, all they did was just strap rockets to the back of a Datsun. I mean, there's absolutely no way this shoddy, unreliable vehicle should be moving as fast as it is. So it will be watchable. It will be weird. There will be a lot of points. It will not be necessarily good because I don't think in order— No, it probably won't be good. So in order for a Lane Kiffin Ole Miss game to be good, you need a foil that has similarly like misshapen attributes. So— that might be Louisville. Oh, really, really? Yeah, but okay. All right, let's pause here for a second before I before I curmudgeon. Richard, what am I looking at with a 2021 Louisville on Labor Day weekend? The, the thing is, I don't know if anybody knows. That's 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 sort of the problem. So I, you're looking at a at a at a slow motion car wreck as far as Scott Satterfield's relationship with Louisville yes. goes. Uh, maybe, I guess we're I guess we're gonna do this for another year, even though clearly he doesn't want to be there. They don't want right, him. So it's, However, it's they can score. They can score, and their defense should be better. It should have been better last year, but, but I no, still think it should is, be better. This is what I'm counting on. That defense maybe not getting better. <laughs> you see the vision? That one confuses me because I was expecting their defense to be okay last year because Brian Brown, their defensive coordinator, former App State guy, you know how we feel about App State guys on this yes. program. We like them. Uh, and he had consistently overperforming defenses relative to recruiting talent, all of that jazz in Boone. It just has not materialized uh, in Louisville yet. And I don't know. I, I, we're getting close to the point where either it has to happen or you cut your losses. And so it, it's at least interesting. Like that is, that is to a significant extent, a hot seat watch insofar as like if, yes, if Louisville just gets destroyed, uh, then Satterfield is probably out of there by what, like week six, Godfrey? I don't know. I mean, yes. it's not like, not like anyone in that relationship really wants to continue that much longer. Uh, whereas if they win, then, ah, you know, it's an SEC win and maybe their defense is better and maybe things are on the up and up uh, for the first time in a little while at Louisville. And all of this is why I don't think it's going to be a particularly entertaining game. I think Ole Miss will be fast and explosive. They will be horrendous on defense, maybe slightly less horrendous. I just don't know what we're going to see from Louisville. It's very possible Ole Miss wins a blowout. It's also very possible this is just a dumb, sloppy game. In terms of quality, I just don't feel like it's there. Now, let me pause for a second just to get this out of the way. Georgia Clemson will be as advertised, worth watching, narrative setting, yada, yada, yada. Alabama-Miami? gonna be a grease spot okay there's not i mean i i, I maybe no not, stop but it. we'll get to it we're gonna, we're gonna do this on another episode with this nine and three <laughs> bullshit it, that you know they're not oh my god you what, what what spread do you want on that shit right now what do you want on that right now i you know the funny thing is i looked at uh old pal bill Connolly's preseason s p it's only like a nine point spread. It's SP actually. There's SNP. A certain, a certain trade. SNP. A certain trading. I'll give you fourteen. That, uh, You'll give me fourteen. Oh, bet. Okay. Bet. I'll take yeah. fourteen. Miami four. Miami Lo- plus fourteen. Local Floridian I, I is apparently not, unfamiliar Richard, with Miami since the Richard, last fifteen Richard, fucking yeah. years. Yeah, I can't. I can't abide what you're talking about there. I. I, I appreciate. I've the taken bigger worse with sure. I appreciate that the spirit that you have in predicting that Bama's going to the Citrus Bowl this year, uh, but 14 is not enough. 
it's it's I'm not even sure it's in the ballpark. Okay, so of these but four again, games, I, I appreciate yes, you doing thank it. Thank you. Of these four games, the one that I'm kind of frustrated by, and this is, I'm just returning to in season form because for like four weeks, Notre Dame was interesting to me for the first time in my professional career, but they lost most of the people who made them interesting, and I think it's just going to be like yeah. kind of knuckle dragon crappy Notre Dame again. And then on so opposite that, what is Florida State? Buddy, do they need the hell out of so, this one? I mean, they need it. I know you guys are very young. You know what this could extremely be? Extremely young, but do you remember the year 2016? You were both five. Do you remember? Yes, <laughs> and you're about to say, are you about to say, is this the Texas's back? This is Texas Notre State? Dame all fucking yes. over again. Yes. Yes, I'm glad someone else said it. It is. Florida State might win this game. Notre Dame is poised for a big step back. They have to figure out a new quarterback situation. The game's in Tallahassee. It is totally within the realm of possibility that Florida State gets some emotional, very exciting win, and its meaningfulness to them long-term is Somebody, shit. I would like the record to like reflect that this podcast has become anti-Florida State and pro, in a sense, a little bit, Miami, and it wasn't. I'm fine the, with that. It's the no, other no, no, I'm fine with that. I love this. Are you kidding me? I want this. I want the I smoke, that. baby. I'm putting my all into this shit. Uh, all right. Okay. It's going to be an interesting enough game get that because reference. you don't really I'm know what going to be. That's the problem. <sighs> Not true. Um, I would say that of those four games, the best is clearly Georgia yes. Clemson. Everyone yeah. will watch that. I am, I, I am fine with each of the other three. I think it's a good opening kind of main card for the whole season. Like Miami, Bama, fine. Like I, I think that it is poised to maybe be less of a Bama neutral site murder than we are used to and here's the real the real blessing here i believe that this is the last of these alabama in an nfl stadium disemboweling and then drawing and quartering some poor opponent in week one on national tv oh well yeah they're just gonna do it at bryant denny yes they're just gonna do it on they're gonna do it so why should i be fired up about that well, it's the last time. It's a novelty item. You know, you won't get to see Alabama doing this in this setting until the playoff every year. All right, um, on so, Sunday, September 5th. Okay. That tune doesn't so, change. So, Notre Dame, Florida State, yeah, is my response. I think what we're going to see is a coronation of a Florida State team that's going to finish like 8-4 and four at best. And we're all going to talk too much about it. That would be good. Well, that would be eight and four would okay. represent. A I am not forward. against being excited about talking about the schedule. That's I look. I I literally paid the mortgage off doing this stuff. But, we, but can I interest you, Alex Kirshner, in an off-brand, non-ESPN fireworks display without a permit? Okay, here's the problem. It's going to be opposite Georgia Clemson, and nobody's going to watch. There is a healthy rumor afoot that Fox is going to push. LSU UCLA into prime time on Ugh. Saturday night. Give me that shit. I want that. That is. I want that. God. I mean, I understand counter programming. I I get it. But let me tell you something. Yikes. This is if you if you have followed me at any iota for more than five seconds, it should not surprise you that I am not gonna this watch the, the title Bowl, fight. Right? I am not gonna watch it's, the title it, fight. I'm going to watch what could what could what could be. Everyone shooting themselves in the foot. Those two teams together in L.A.? Holy shit, I'm excited. Could be fun. I think we're adopting the editorial line on this show that UCLA might win that game, right? It's it's not outside of the realm of possibility. 
Yeah, we're I considering it. Okay, we're considering it. UC- I do not think UCLA is going to win that game. We're anyway. considering. We're considering it. We're so not we're we're, we're, we're ten minutes into the show, uh, and Richard has endorsed Florida State's quality. Technically, uh, as a Florida graduate, is trying to say that Alabama will be have a bad year, possibly a three loss year, right? Which is going to be the summer narrative yeah, of this program. Why don't you? Why don't Why don't you take a look at where Alabama travels? I believe week four. Or and five, you're now. And now the and now the man is stumping for LSU. What, what kind of gator are you? you? I'm a man of interesting taste. Are you? You die young. Are you podcast long enough to see yourself become the villain? I think that's <laughs> what they always said. Um, as usual, one note is that there is not a group of five game on that kind of main national TV suite for the opening week. It brings up a question that Hunter B asked us in Patreon recently. Thank you, Hunter. And thank you to our uh, Patreon subscribers about whether or not the Thursday game that is in yeah. Charlotte, kind of kicking off the week between App State and East Carolina, might herald future G5 involvement in neutral siders kind of showcase games to start the season. Steven, is there any noise or, or do you sense any appetite on the part of G5s to go and be part of those those events in the future? Yeah, the guaranteed money is is a, is a bigger draw for G5s, especially if they feel like they couldn't get that kind of ticket revenue at home. It, they'll definitely take it if it means they get a quality opponent and, and exposure means more to the G5s, obviously, than it does for, you know, Georgia and Clemson are not playing each other in Charlotte for quote-unquote exposure. Um, the game to look at that probably needs a neutral site is Boise and UCF uh, that Saturday. That that's that's the Titan G five game for sure. Um, but it makes sense here for App and East to, to play at a neutral site. It it basically it's exact. If you're if you're not familiar with North Carolina, uh, App is in the far west in the mountains, and ECU unsurprisingly is in Greenville on the east side, uh, right next to the water. So um, it's yeah, they come together. Charlotte's roughly in the middle, give or take. Uh, it makes sense. They're in an NFL stadium. Everybody else is doing it. I'm fine with it. I think it being on a weeknight leading in, that's nice as well. Um, I feel good about this. The G5 guys, what they would probably need to do, and this is where UCF fans are going to get mad, but you need to sign a one and one okay, where you play in the P5 stadium as a road opponent, and then you host the P5 in an NFL stadium on Labor Day weekend if it makes sense geographically. Okay, You know the school who actually created this model is Western Kentucky. They played at Kentucky, then they played mm-hmm. Kentucky in Nashville at the Titan Stadium. Hilltoppers. Yeah. Very smart. Um, I would I would advocate for that. I, I would advocate for something that looks like that. Unless you're in a major city already, like a Georgia State, that doesn't make as much sense financially to go across town to, you know, Mercedes Benz. Just stay where you are. But um, before we move on, I want to advocate for one more game, and I think it's because I want to shout out uh, Alex. What do we do every Monday in this split zone consortium? Can we give a quick plug for that? We do. We do Discord office hours mm-hmm. uh, where. Certain guests, uh, occasionally including yourself, have come by and taken live audio questions. We invented this. No one has ever actually taken live audio mm-hmm. questions from sports. <laughs> yes, my name before. is my name is Mark. It's, it's a new format. Um, yeah, based new. on the office hours that I was invited to on Monday, something young Richard answered uh, one of the questions. I think one of the most interesting games, and it's going to be isolated in prime time more or less, will be Thursday. September 2nd, I'm not talking about App and ECU, but almost certainly because it's on Thursday, it'll be in primetime, is yet another Fox game. I wish I was being paid. 
Tennessee versus Bowling Green. <laughs> I wish it was. Hey, by the way, actually, you said it. I'm going to pause real quick, guys. I'm now deviating off of a deviation. Let me just say this. Tennessee, I'm looking directly into my Zoom right now, and you can't see me. If you fucking lose that game, shut it. <laughs> there's, there's, shut it there's the no fuck way. There's down. no It shut won't it happen. It can't happen. Down. Okay, all right, moving on. Uh, it won't happen. The game it's, that I'm. It, the game it won't I'm, happen. Bowling Green is a different level. All right, go ahead. Cool. We've now wished that into existence. Uh, the game I want to talk about, the game I'm suddenly interested in, is Ohio State opening the year minus some dynamic skill position players at Minnesota. That, to me, is good football. That, to me, is interesting. What are you doing? What are you talking what? about? What am I doing? Do you hear yourself talking? You're you're talking about Ohio State losing a season opener in the Big Ten to Minnesota? I'm talking about a game in which Ohio State will have to show some sort of identity at quarterback. We had a question. They got the best receivers I'm not sure that in they, the I'm country. not sure they do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they do either. I don't think they have to I think that they could put me out there at quarterback and have a competitive chance in that game. I really do. I'm <laughs> not sure. I think that as long as you can catch the snap, which I'm not sure I could do, but as long as you can catch the snap, I, I think you're fucking, okay. I have my phone out. I'm texting PJ right now. This is some bullshit. Do this it. Is some Do bullshit. it. He's the one that's got to figure out how to cover Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. You got you yeah. to get it to and him I, first. What are they Minnesota, running fucking sweeps? Minnesota, a couple years ago, had a couple of DBs who could play with receivers like that, but I don't think they wow. did. Wow. Like Antoine Winfield is not there anymore. Uh, okay. Godfrey just endorsed Minnesota to beat Ohio State. Which Please move us on. Time, time to move us I'm on. I'm begging um, you. One of the power conferences that we have not discussed, I think maybe. Uh, well, one of two that we haven't discussed yet. Define that is, power. Is not involved there. Uh, I can't. I really can't. Um, and I'm and enough enough though with the the digging at the Pac-12, Richard, because they have heralded in a new era mm-hmm. uh, of Pac-12 athletics. Yeah, by... I'm going to be pretty nice, so I need to get it in. All right, we'll get our digs in now. Um, they have brought about a new era in Pac-12 sports by hiring a new commissioner to replace. The pretty objectively failed Larry Scott, uh, that commissioner is George Klyavkov, who was most recently with MGM, in charge of sports and entertainment there. I think that involves a lot of boxing. Uh, pretty clear that the Pac-12 is going the route uh, going the route of hiring someone who knows how to negotiate television deals. That was obviously going to be in the next commissioner's portfolio anyway, but this is like a capital T, capital V, capital G TV guy. And he's got a big job ahead of him. But, Godfrey, did anybody in college sports know who this man was prior to, like, last Thursday? I think, Richard, didn't we talk – we talked about this in the office hours. Again, plugging it. Go to the SCD Patreon. Um, Splitsendo.com? I think that Wilner had it, but he was doing multiple confirmation. It was the least urgent I've ever seen a, a job opening, uh, like like filling a job opening ever. In fact, a lot of people in the national media, a lot of colleagues of ours were just standing around going like, yeah, they're going to announce it today. And like people would get in the mentions and be like, who do you think it is? And they're like, I don't fucking know. Like it was, it was, a, it was weird vibes on it. Um, a lot of that was because they performed the search outside of um, uh, well-worn circles for sports reporters. Um, that They went this industry. Uh, doesn't shock me at all because um, the work that needs to be done is all going to be, you know, it, it's it, it's not about necessarily expansion. It's it, it's not really about even the football problems that they've had or, or basketball or whatever. They don't really have basketball problems, but um, it, it's all structural. It's all it's it's all big big boy business shit. So 
Um, I, I don't know. I don't really have a feeling one way or the other about this guy. And I think it's impossible to measure it for like at least two years. At least he's got a. Uh, I said this yesterday. The, he's got to unfuck so much stuff that you have to give him a two-year window. The reason why he gets a two-year window before you can start to evaluate him, I think, is the same reason why the Pac-12 didn't seem to be operating in a ton of a rush when they hired him, which is that they have until 2024 before their current TV deal and media setup expires. Given that that's kind of what's in front of him, I think that he gets a little time to just take stock. Um, but let's let's do the same here. Let's let's, let's lay out the, the primary challenge, I think, that's in front of George Klyavkov. In the 2018 to 19 academic year, the Pac-12's distribution per school was $32 million. The Big Ten's was 55. The SEC's was 45. Obviously, the Big Ten is partnered with Fox on the Big Ten Network and also has an ESPN deal uh, and some Fox uh, cable deals as well. The SEC is now soon to be even more closely associated with ESPN. I mention those because the Pac-12, under Larry Scott, sort of went it alone. They decided to develop the Pac-12 networks more or less on their own without a big network partner, hoping that they would get to keep all of the revenue. Uh, turns out there isn't much of that revenue because, drumroll, it's not actually in anybody's homes. Nobody gets the Pac-12 <laughs> network. Um the Big Tens and the SEC's takes, which is again fifty-five million and forty-five million versus thirty-two million just a couple of years ago, are about to get way bigger because the SEC just signed a huge deal uh, with Disney to put even more games on ESPN. They were getting kind of a pretty big haircut, I think, Richard, on the Saturday SEC games. They were getting like fifty-five million a year from CBS yeah, for that. It literally, I in my opinion, was the biggest sweetheart deal in. It was a great uh, deal for CBS. Why? Which is why it's sports. gone. Yeah, college sports and professional. <laughs> it's just it's why, just why it's gone. gone, and it's being, and it's being replaced by a deal that, to say nothing of all the SEC's other uh, media rights that are also primarily with ESPN, is increasing just that kind of primo package from fifty-five to three hundred million. So, SEC schools are about to get a lot more money. Uh, this is what's staring the Pac-12 in the face and what Klyavkov is, I think, primarily being hired to try to fix is that Pac-12 schools are eight figures poorer every year in comparison to their Big Ten and SEC peers. And that is in a lot of ways, I think, you know, a, a huge problem for schools in the Pac-12. So his job is to narrow that gap. I don't think anyone thinks he'll get rid of it because the Pac-12 just doesn't have the brand cachet that those two leagues do. But the hope is that he can mitigate it somewhat. Uh, he talks like a guy who understands this. I think the quote was, we know where the bread is buttered, was what George Klyavkov said about football and men's basketball being important areas to compete and to market uh, for, for the sake of media money. He's got time. He's got a big job on his hands, Stephen. All right. You ready for a weird one? I like to do this to you youngins sometimes. You ready? Fuck me up. Everybody know who Chris Nolan is? The the, mm -hmm. the director? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Inception, Tenet. I like Tenet, by the way. I'm so tired of people saying it was hard to follow. God. I've seen it twice. I still don't get it. Come on. I liked it, but I just didn't get it. Not it watching so it. Good. Yeah. Anyway, Stephen. Chris, Chris Nolan, Nolan recently raised uh, a bit of a ruckus. Do you guys know why? Made a bad no, movie. He didn't he? Made a, <laughs> because he insisted on that movie being played Fuck in theaters, and then it flopped. It's fine. 
Uh, no, he raised a bunch of hell because he made that movie for ostensibly Warner Brothers. All right, Warner Brothers uh, has lumped all their movies together with an, a platform called HBO Max. HBO Max was designed to compete with Netflix and with the big, big time streaming apps. Okay, you guys still with me? That's like Peacock, Paramount <laughs> Plus, Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you guys know the score. An interesting thing happened this week. Because you talk about the Pac-12 in terms of, I don't know what they can do, but they have to do something, right? That's pretty much how we're framing this conversation, that the SEC and the ACC via ESPN, as well as the Big Ten via Fox, have basically built up such a lead that it almost feels like, oh, it's kind of a big three, and then there's kind of a little two, right? And the Big 12, because they don't have grant of rights and a disproportionate representation, they might break apart. What I just did, that's basically the Power Five in a nutshell in this era. A funny thing happened this week. So many people have raised hell about the way AT&T has treated creatives, specifically in Hollywood, that people believe that the sale, which just happened, it was announced yesterday, of all of the mm-hmm. creative properties at Warner Media, which is that is so. So let me back up. HBO Max and Warner Brother Warner Warner Brothers Films and like uh, DC Comics movies and all that. So it's all lumped together, and that's Warner Media. okay? That is being spun out of AT&T, and it's being sold to Discovery. okay? The reason why this is important is that Discovery themselves just also launched an app that, that is streaming an absolute – I would put it this way. Ask your mother. Everybody's yes, mom yes. has that Discovery. 100%. Like, when Discovery launched an app, y'all – moms across the world went from what's an app how do i work this to i'm on that shit i gotta see that renovation okay so you know where this is going for the college for the consumer is that there's gonna so, be bundling like esp like like disney does with hulu and disney plus just and plus. hang tight for a second so uh, chris nolan dennis villeneuve all these fucking filmmakers are leading the charge that basically hbo slash warner slash this really big giant conglomerate of entertainment properties are not being treated the right way they basically at&t has very very uh cement hands in the terms of in the way that they deal with creatives and we all know from personal experience when shitty people People are in charge of editorial teams and creative outfits. They can fuck it up more often than not. When you look at what's happened this week, Discovery slash HBO is now in the business. We're talking, guys, we're talking about a lot of cable channels in here, right? We're talking about TNT and TBS. Uh, By the way, they just got in bed with the NHL. This thing that was just created in the last 48 hours is going to be interested in the most valuable thing that's still left in cable slash still left in viewing which is live events okay award shows are fucking tanking for various reasons that i don't want to get into because i don't want to play the politics games live sports are not tanking we played live sports in the middle of a pandemic for a reason folks this and this is the longest way i could get to this point is a huge open door for the Pac-12. This is how you make a comeback. I think that there are enough opportunities out there for the Pac-12 and a right-minded, logical, sensical, silver spoon, not up his ass commissioner who understands the market for football content to sell the rights for the Pac-12 network, the tier one rights to football and basketball to one of these new consortiums, let's call it. And maybe it's not ESPN. Maybe it's not. Maybe they go somewhere else. 
Um, two things here. Pivoting next to uh, pivoting next to this. The first thing is, and I think it's probably the layup easy thing is sell the rights to CBS if CBS wants to stay in the business of college football after the SEC leaves. You'll be CBS's Paramount thing. <laughs> Paramount, Paramount Plus. Um, yeah, I know you're on the opposite coast. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but whatever. Look into it. You could argue that they should have done that 10 years ago or whatever before they uh, cooked up the cockamamie pac Networks scheme. The other thing is is away from TV and more of what I think this says about where the winds are blowing for the league. Um, we This is something we talked about on Office Hours, something Alex has sort of brought up in, in our notes that we'll get to it is, so where is the epicenter of power in the Pac-12? The office is in San Francisco. My guy here lives in Vegas, is a Vegas lifer, is allegedly moving to the Bay Area. We'll see how long that lasts. We know that there's a nexus of power in L.A. because, you know, L.A. But then we realize that if you look at the hiring committee on who made this hire, it's Oregon State's president and like Washington State. Oregon's president was very involved. Or in Oregon's president, yes. Yeah. So where is the locus of control of this league right now? Um, the, the men's and women's basketball tournaments are in Las Vegas, have been for a little while. I believe the football game is moving to Vegas or am I making it that is. up? Okay. It's out of the Bay Area. <clears throat> yes. So, it, so where is the, the nexus, the locus of control? Where is the thing that we say that's the Pac-12 city? Like we would say the SEC city is Atlanta. Um, that is a, is a question that needs to be answered because, if you don't think the Pac-12 is going to be the first Power 5 league that has the fancy gaming betting deal, you were probably betting on the wrong horse because of this move in addition to the Pac-12's eastern move towards Vegas in the last few years. Y'all watch this. I'm about to tie these two segments together. Blow your minds. John Wilner, who basically has wow. an inside track weave, on weave pretty me much a web. everything to do in terms of journalism with the Pac-12... The let's see this morning as we record this, he comes out and says, <clears throat> by 2023, the Pac-12 needs to be participating in one of these games in Las Vegas. And what he's referring to are those four games that we just talked about, right? The kickoff classic games. He has an excellent point. If Las Vegas is not the center of the world for the Pac-12 in the next five years, they did something terribly wrong. That is the secret. I do think they should have a presence in L.A., all right? Richard, you said this on our office hours, too, about how the Big Ten, has, they have an office in New York City. It's not their main office, but they need something to the effect of a presence in L.A., get the hell out of the Bay, break the lease, borrow the money if you have to, and Why? then move Why do they need that? And uh, Which part? It, it's L.A. It's Why, sort do, of Why do they need – so I guess here's – I would frame it like this. Do they need a quote unquote presence in LA? Like you need a little office in Reseda or do you need USC to be good? Like no, what, I, what kind I of think, presence in LA do you actually need? I think you need the the office presence in, in LA. Closer to the office in Reseda than USC yeah. being good. Cuz USC being good is something yes. you yeah. don't necessarily control or have sway over. Like Clearly, it's dumb, you do but not. it's Los Angeles. Clearly. I mean, sure. Um, no, <laughs> well, you to that LA point, there are a few things. Go ahead, Stephen. I was going to say, you need the office in LA to, to be able to work with the marketing initiatives, to do the branded content, to find deals, to work with filmmakers, to add that Hollywood sheen that they've always wanted to have on, on the product. There are a number of things that, uh, because they just hired a commissioner, 
that we are talking about that the commissioner can directly control. Probably worth delineating what the things are that George Klyavkov can actually do something about and what the things are that he can't do anything about so we don't lose the forest for the trees. A couple things come to mind that he can control or at least influence heavily. We've just talked about all of this TV stuff, the future of the Pac-12 networks, tremendous, which networks get their games, which don't, all of the above. If the Pac-12 pushes for playoff expansion is something that a commissioner can at least pretty heavily influence, I think, university presidents on as far as where the Pac-12 is going to land on if it's eventually going to expand to eight or if they're going to push for 12 or something more. I think that that is in his purview, and I suspect that he will probably support Pac-12 expansion because it's rational for the conference. Uh, he can control the Pac-12 office being not only where it's located to some extent, if the uh, if the people if his bosses are okay with that, but also like making it not be an embarrassment the same way that it was. Remember that big officiating mess a couple of years ago where like folks from the Pac-12 office who weren't supposed to have their hands in video review came in and like screwed over Washington State on some call, stuff like that. He can prevent stuff like that from happening, which is good. Keeps you from being made fun of, keeps you from being a sideshow. Uh, and he can decide on on the real estate thing. I don't know. Richard, like, I've been to the Bay Area once. I had a really nice time. I didn't come away thinking I would want to have office space there. And I especially didn't come away thinking I would want to have office space there if I were a college sports entity and there's like two good football players coming out of San Francisco every year and counting downward because people are moving. So that's all in his purview. Yeah. But there, I, there are I mean, things you gotta, that are not. Yeah. Part of it is you got to remember what the Pac-12 was selling when Larry Scott was sort of coming up here and, and, and taking the reins here. It was selling innovation and da 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 And if you're going to sell innovation, the place to be on the West Coast, obviously, is that special place, San Francisco, whether it matters or not. And all of these things are high-level, businessy. Do they really matter? And the answer to all of those things all the time is always yes and no, frustratingly. Like, you know, there are things that you have to do in capital B business to save face, to, to you know what I mean? I, I, me sure. and Alex uh, remember sort of negotiating a union contract and, and sort of remembering some of those things. There are things that you have to do just kind of because everyone else is doing it. And if you're going to be on the West Coast and you're going to pitch innovation, yeah, you probably have to be in San Francisco, despite the fact that the cost is prohibitive. See, but the other the, thing is, like... The Pac-12 has two teams in ostensibly San Francisco. It's not like they were like stuck a pushpin in a map and it just happened to be San Francisco. There was use case for being in San Francisco and being in the Bay Area. You know, you're not going to say it's not. And Sanford and Cal are in the Bay Area. I, I erred by saying they were in San Francisco. Let me roll, run that back real quick. Um, I, I would say this. I just... They never really expounded upon what it is they wanted to do with the Valley. It was very much a thing that Larry Scott found attractive, and they never right. really utilized. They kept, he kept saying, it's, we need to be here because it's the Center for Innovation. It's a Center for Innovation. Okay, well, well, what does that actually mean? It was such Silicon Valley right. BC talk. It's never been made there clear. Was, how, like, it's like an 18-year-old who moves to New York. Yeah, show me what it was. Oh, about, I wasn't trying to about catch up. San Francisco. Was, yeah. No, that's fine. Show me what it was about San Francisco that was so important to be there for the betterment of college athletics in your league. I, I still don't understand it. Well, it's it's the same question that I have with the LA point, but I especially have it with the San Francisco point, particularly as we move to a more remote world, which is inevitable and is is pandemic abated, but was already kind of happening anyway. Like. 
the Pac-12, to me, do they need to be in San Francisco to strike up a relationship with some tech company that's putting up a streaming platform? No. Like, why does AT&T or Discovery or whatever we're calling this new venture, why do they care where the Pac-12 office is? Like, they can get on a plane, you know? Like, they've got private jets. They can go and talk with, uh, with the Pac-12 commissioner wherever they need to. I think that it makes a lot more sense to just go and like try to establish yourselves like you're alluding to as like the Vegas league. Like we're in Vegas all the time. Vegas, we talked about it geographically a couple weeks ago, is growing, uh, particularly the areas around it. Do that and then just have USC be good and don't worry about where the your office is. The most powerful force in college football right now is a league office that's on like one two hundredth the value of land in the, su- in the suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama. Alex, you bring up a good point in the fact that, like, geography here just – it got silly. It got showy. It, they were trying to represent something without – I mean, the bottom line is this. They could be yeah. in a fucking airplane hangar in Scottsdale, Arizona. It just – you need to have better football, and you need to sell your damn network. And they can control the selling the network thing to I tie think the so, loop yeah. on uh, – Yeah. What it, to, tie the, to close the loop on what the commissioner can't control – I don't think that he has much control over them playing better football, at least not for a long time. Maybe if they get more money in in the door, maybe it starts to show up downstream. But he can't control USC continuing to employ Clay Helton and doing other USC things that, Godfrey, you refer to all the time as USC bullshit. Always felt nebulous to me, but I trust you. He can't control California bleeding high school football players more than any other state in the country by a ton. Uh, He can't control what TV networks want. You know, he could control, you know, who they engage with, but ESPN is still going to ask you to play your games at 10 p.m. Eastern or at 9 a.m. local time uh, to, to fit them into the, the broadcast schedule. There's a lot of stuff that Klyavkov, George Klyavkov can't do anything about, and I think it's important to keep that in mind, that we're sort of talking about a guy who's going to have a huge impact on some things but can't change We'll, we'll say things. this, and then we can move on. There is a potential for some great things to start and seed quality football this coming year in the Pac-12, okay? You could have – look, Kayvon Thibodeau might be the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. That's one thing, all right? I, I mean, it's early to do that, but, I mean, he is the – No, he yeah, might I, be. Short of yeah, a quarterback, he probably right? is going So, okay, so there's that. There's the potential for an Oregon team maybe to be in the playoff consideration. There's the potential for a team like Arizona State to just stay in the national conversation throughout the regular season long enough for Herm to up the profile of that program. I think that I think having a team in the top six down the stretch is possible, especially because some of the traditional powers, as Richard has said, Alabama is going you know five and seven this year. Um, these things are all possible. Arizona State elevates its profile. Maybe Oregon's in the playoff conversation. And then lastly, maybe we do get Clay Helton fired finally. And then you have the intrigue and the drama of a USC head coaching search. Oh, and by the way, UCLA could be pretty good this year. Godfrey, before we move out of here, I want you to illuminate something for, for me and for anyone who's listening who has the same question. Why does the money matter? The long, that's the short question. I guess the slightly slightly longer winded way of asking is, it certainly seems that every team that plays Power 5 football has plenty of money to build nice facilities, to have a nice nice enough stadium, uh, to hire serious coaches and to have big recruiting budgets and do all of the things that seem attendant with having a good team. I can think of one one thing, and we saw this with 
Michigan State and Colorado you last took the words season, out of my mouth that is pretty obvious yeah you answered the question for but me. is t- t- like but I I think I assume it goes a little deeper and I'm curious why we even care this much why a fan of college football who is not an athletic director who's responsible for a budget should even give a shit about the Pac-12 making less money or trying to close that gap because they've been doing and I'm sorry for sort of answering the because question. Mel Tucker is a great example why I, it, it, there's no more football talent growing in the lands of East Lansing Michigan than there is in Boulder Colorado okay it's not about that it's about the potential now for the gap to be so wide that coaches and ADs and you know brand managers and ops guys and defensive coordinators are all going to start looking at at the Pac-12 potentially as some sort of lesser than conference relative to other power five institutes now normally these things are graded on an individual basis right so you know James Franklin's at Vanderbilt going to Penn State makes all the sense in the world that doesn't make the Big Ten better than the SEC necessarily what they're risking now is the perception of the jobs being, quote, a Pac-12 job or Oregon and, and USC. That is the risk that they're running. That's why they have to close the financial gap. That's why it is so damn important for not only USC to be good, plant the flag, get Los Angeles involved, and become become the USC of old. That's what I've been saying forever, and I'm not changing my, I'm not changing my spiel, but they also need Arizona State to exist in the frontal cortex of your average rank-and-file Auburn or Clemson fan. That's what they need. Fair enough. Uh, Richard, time for some podcast business. You want to do the home field ad read this week? I would absolutely love to because you know if there's one thing that I'm about, it is home field apparel. You're home for premium, vintage, deeply comfortable collegiate apparel prepared by a crack ex- creative team and licensed with dozens of schools. I wrote that myself. Clearly, I have not read the ad copy for this week's show. I wrote that myself. Uh, you, can buy, you can buy Split Zone Duo shirts there. Uh, just type Moon Crew Home Field uh, into your internet machine, and it'll come right up. Great way to support the show. Or you can rep your school. There's a lot already there uh, and a lot more coming soon. Promo code SZD for 20% of your first order home field apparel. Dot com proud sponsor of the show initial sponsor of the show um, cannot wait to share with you guys what Homefield has coming uh, later this summer and as we run up to the season uh, Connor has some very 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 nice shirt designs okay. rolling through Richard are you excited about that very much so I'm always excited yeah. for new uh, new schools to come onto the Homefield apparel team so that we can sell some new shirts with our promo code. SZD, 20% off your first order. And because these new schools are coming online in the coming weeks and months, there will be, in my opinion, plenty of new first-time orders that can use that promo code. Again, promo code SZDHomeFieldApparel.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Uh, Stephen Godfrey, you were just talking about one USC. Uh, I would like to now talk about, uh, well, not USC, but South Carolina, the University yeah. of. Uh, you, so something has happened here. One of the more confusing to me, I guess befuddling administrative changes in a while. I want to be uh, clear. I have no idea no, what's Godfrey's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm not even saying like a, I, I read it and don't get it type thing. I mean, like literally I saw the text come into the group chat while I was on the beach and was like, I'm not reading that and have not gone back to it and did not remember that he wanted to talk about South Carolina until I read the rundown this morning. Okay. Well, Godfrey, you're insistent that this is an important story to something essential about the industry of college football. So tell me why. And then I'll, I guess we'll kind of prosecute the case. Wow. I really got to sing for my supper here. Okay. So yeah, regale me. Gentlemen, does anyone remember how the coaching carousel started in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, one William Larry Muschamp was the first to this go. This was South Carolina. South Carolina, it, it was fun because uh, – even the most cynical person in the world, you, Stephen, were like, "No, they're not going to pay big, giant buyouts to coaches in the middle of in the middle of this pandemic and like higher budgetary crisis." And it's one of the only times I'm going to hold it over. You, I'm going to hold it over you for a long time that I was like, "Bet, just watch them." <laughs> and then South Carolina did. So, uh, I, 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 yeah. what I want to do today is create two two bookends for an incredibly fucked up time in everyone's life, and I'm going to use college football to do it. All right, so a uh, quick dateline here, September 21st, 2020. This is the Post and Courier, but I think it's part of the larger sort of South Carolina news network. I think those papers, the state, it's all together. Gamecock Athletics facing $58 million shortfall due to coronavirus. Put yourselves back in the position for a second of what it was like in late September in terms of budget forecasts, uncertainty, whether or not the sport was going to be played on September 21st. There was no Big Ten playing football. There was no Pac-12 playing football. There was no MAC playing football. Uh, things were very... I don't even think the SEC had started. It started there later were plans week. for it to start. That's basically... And, and yeah. it was still very touch and go as to what games would actually be played. So, I've painted you a picture. And yes, Alex, I thought for sure, based on the panicked phone calls that I was getting from pretty much every level of college sports, that this was just going to be a year that everyone endured. This wasn't going to be a year where we churned the waters with human blood... Guess what? I was wrong. Um, never doubt the power of agents. However, Will Muschamp was the first one to go, right? And by the way, I went and checked my old Banner Society headline, um, and what we settled on was Will Muschamp's end at South Carolina makes as much sense as anything else in 2020. And that was on <laughs> November 16th. Um, it, it truly is, a, it truly was a bizarre thing. Just to, this is a little inside. And I don't know if we've ever done it in a linear fashion before. Will Muschamp was hired by Ray Tanner. If you don't know about Ray Tanner, he's one of the few remaining good old boy athletic directors, a former baseball coach at South Carolina. One of the things Will Muschamp does better than anybody else is not headbutt things, although I think his form and execution are beautiful. It is that he manages up better than most coaches in in the game is why i think he may actually still be a power five head coach again before his career is done because he manages his athletic directors and boosters and culture better than most guys 
it's it's one of those situations, guys, I've told you before on the show about how Bob Stoops was just a ruthless, snide prick to reporters. And then one night he confused me for someone who wasn't a reporter at a table at the convention and was the most nice, warm, outgoing dude, tipping waitresses $200 and like buying everybody's dinner. This is that culture. So we know Will Muschamp to be this like, I don't know what Star Wars is, erp, derp, headbutt my way through this problem. In a, in behind closed doors, inside the athletic administration culture, Will Muschamp is a dream to work for, allegedly. Richard, do you? They were, and I was gonna say that like th- there's there are reasons why like Jeremy Foley was like crying. That, okay, so that, that, that's where inspired. I was taking you. I was there. Do you remember what it was like when they finally severed ties with him? It was as if there was a death in the family, and not like, hey, we're Florida and we we helped modernize football offense, and this guy. This fucking sucks and we're getting rid of him no it was as, it was as if they were like oh the cancer spread and this dog's just not gonna make it like it was like what yeah the it fuck? was like sad right? yeah and and you know you wonder and like Muschamp has some of the um you you I think it's either you or Spencer calls it the uh the NASCAR crew chief in him where like you just think he's some dumb redneck and then you put the engine in front yeah. of him, and he's got like a yeah. mechanical engineering. He, oh, yeah, yeah, degree. actually, yeah. Like that's Will Muschamp with yes. defense. Um, I think that was me. Although Spencer and I agree on those things, uh, there are a lot of pit. There are a lot of pit crew chiefs from like bumfuck North Carolina who actually have degrees from Caltech. Um, stay with me here, Ray Tanner, good old boy, easy mark for Will Muschamp. I want to say this very quickly. I do not think South Carolina should have hired Will Muschamp, although the other option was Rich Rodriguez, and we can visit that another day. Um, <laughs> South Carolina should have gone in a completely different direction. I am neither endorsing nor condemning the action of hiring him or firing him. I am just simply telling you what I know. Ray Tanner was an easy mark for Will Muschamp. He got to stay in the Southeastern Conference. He had no business, based on his resume, being the kind of guy that would maintain or elevate South Carolina in the midst of Clemson building a Death Star and the SEC being what it is. It's a hard, shitty job in the in, in the SEC. It's maybe the worst job in the SEC, in my opinion. Don't say Vanderbilt because they're going to let Clark Lee do whatever he wants for five years. Okay, Clemson has ruined that job at least for the next decade. Will Muschamp gets the job. He has. The entire time he's been in South Carolina, y'all, he did exactly what he did at Florida. Rotates through coordinators, has a couple peaks, a lot of valleys, doesn't look innovative, definitely looks like the offense is fucking up. Ends up with oh rotates. I mean, I'm not trying to trigger you, dude, but like There's my there's my right. PTSD right there. So we, we landed we, we spun the wheel this year and we get a Mike Bobo calling plays, all right? Mm. At no point mm. in time, with Ray Tanner's blessing, did Will Muschamp think that he needed to fast track any kind of plan to large scale success. That is until a man named Robert Caslin came to South Carolina. Okay, so you guys don't know who Robert Caslin is, all right? I do not. Robert Caslin no. stood next to me, and I didn't realize this after Army beat Navy and broke the streak and basically gave a speech that was very, very rare for him to give at his position because he was the superintendent of the United States Military Academy. This guy has more uh, stuff hanging off of his jacket, I'm not a military person, than you could imagine. He's highly, highly decorated. He left West Point for South Carolina. As one does. As one does. Oftentimes in military culture, some people can't leave the military even when they leave the military. I just want you to pause for a second. I'm now going to jerk you ahead in time and take you to this past week. 
All right, I'm going to try and read through this. In, this the NPR one was my favorite one. Okay. Seniors at the University of South Carolina had already dealt with one disaster, the pandemic, when they took their socially distanced seats at the school's commencement ceremony last weekend. Then came a train wreck. The university's president, Robert Caslin, delivered a speech so bungled the, with the wrong school name and closing remarks oh. lifted nearly word for word from another famous commencement address that it prompted widespread oh, criticism from social media users to state legislatures in South Carolina. Less than a week later, Caslin has resigned. Quote, I am truly sorry, said Caslin, a retired Army lieutenant general. In a statement announcing his resignation, I was searching for words about resilience and adversity when they were transcribed into the speech, and I failed to ensure its attribution. I take full responsibility for this oversight. Criticism of Caslin's address, which was delivered on Friday night, became immediately after he called the students, ready for this, the newest alumni from the University of California, end quote. This was it. Oh. What the fuck? So was he... I'm just asking because I can't imply one thing or the other without having any information. I'm aware of the laws around this issue. Was he of completely sound mind when he Kirsch, said that? Yes. Yes. I'm just asking. I'm not no, no, no. implying. This, I'm not implying what, that he had anything as body. This is what I'm makes it asking. even stranger because I'm going to get to. I'm going to get to some of the character details that I truly I cannot really understand this story based on what I know about behind closed doors. So he says, "Quote the newest alumni from the University of California." to shocked laughter in the crowd. After a university official standing near him whispered, South Carolina, Caslin corrected himself and then joked about owing the crowd push-ups. But it was the plagiarism that ultimately prompted his res resignation. In the closing words of his address, uh, then it goes into actually what he said. Uh, I, I won't read all that. It doesn't matter. Those words were copied identically from a famous 2014 commencement ad uh, speech given by Admiral William McRaven, the Navy SEAL who oversaw the mission that killed Osama bin Laden. Kaslin did not attribute the words to McRaven, whose speech – this is the funny part, guys. It's not like we're all curators of commencement speeches. This particular speech I knew immediately because, and I'm going back to the NPR article, McRaven, whose speech has been viewed more than 13 million times on YouTube. This dude like stole a stole a chorus from the Beatles and expected nobody to notice. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So let's stop here. From the moment this guy got on campus, he was basically protested and hated by the student body for any number of reasons. Because as you guys can imagine, going from a culture like West Point to a large public university in the SEC like South Carolina, it's a bit fucking jarring for everybody involved. I'm not exactly sure why they made this hire. I don't understand why Caslin went there. I think if you're at West Point, which is a really nice place in my opinion, and also you're like a military guy, you are a fucking career lieutenant general. Why would you do this? But that's not the point. Yeah, the Citadel the Citadel is right down the road, like, fella. Or retire. Those dudes are well paid. I don't think people realize how fucking well paid these guys are once you get to a certain point. This is the point. When Caslin got to South Carolina, one of the first things that he keyed in on, and I have this from multiple sources, is Will Muschamp. For whatever reason, this man, who up until this weird, weird weekend, the commencement speech, was thought of as ridiculously meticulous, extremely detail-oriented, and did not tolerate mediocrity. I'm going to say that again. Did not tolerate mediocrity because that mm. was the exact quote that a source gave me about Caslin's comments about Muschamp. He thought Muschamp was a good old boy. He thought Muschamp was a scam artist. He did not like Will Muschamp from fucking jump, okay? This is important because, I'm gonna go back to the first article, guys. 
Anybody paying attention? $58 million budget deficit. $58 fucking million. You fired a guy halfway through a pandemic season when you had a $58 million shortage. Okay? The initial pledge, the initial amount of buyout money, and it's since been teased down and reworked, okay, was $13.3 million. So Caslin, because he didn't like this dude, go back and look at what South Carolina was doing. They lost to Ole Miss right before he got fired. Like, they were fucking South Carolina, bro. They, I mean, like, they weren't necessarily a good or bad South Carolina. They were just a Will Muschamp South Carolina team. This guy, Caslin, who didn't tolerate mediocrity, who had the reputation of a four-star general, was able to push out Will Muschamp. And on top of that, the dude let everybody else off the fucking hook. He let everybody else off the hook because this is a public university in the South, in the pandemic, where you don't have a lot of money. They had a huge fucking Jimmy Sexton buyout that they had to eat. And in my informed fucking opinion, this sets off the chain of like, shit, we can kill anybody now. And that's what happened. As soon as Muschamp got fired, the gear started turning and then people started losing jobs. And the same shit happened. Buyouts got paid and fucking agents got rich. And look, I'm not saying that if Will Muschamp was still the head coach of South Carolina that someone else wouldn't have gotten fired in college football. But this sure as fuck set the table and gave him a big green light not to feel as bad as this dumb motherfucker. Business is easy is what I hear from that. Yeah. So what an amazing avatar this guy Robert Caslin is for managerial incompetence in college athletics and which yes, is insane because I'm assuming the gentleman had some modicum of managerial competence in the United States military. In the, in and the military. The United pause States there military. and say yeah. he was one of the most decorated, well-respected, and well-thought-of individuals that you could possibly imagine inside of military ranks. And including, obviously, you know where I'm getting this from. So, you know, football coaches at the academies, they're civilians. They're not lifers. Like, they're not military guys, by and large. They're moving in and out of this. And so often there's a cultural clash between football coaches and military guys, okay? But this man specifically had earned the respect of football coaches, which is a little hard to do because they're more full of themselves than even military dudes. This man who wrote the who, who wrote a book called The Character Edge, Leading and Winning with Integrity. It's available on Amazon right now for $14. I got to say this. I don't think that anybody really was going to try and fire him for lifting some bullshit out of a commencement speech, okay? I was so hungover at my commencement, all I wanted to do was lay flat on the ground and fucking die, okay? And that's not just because I may or may not be a lifelong functioning alcoholic. It's a commencement speech at a fucking public... It's a a commencement speech at SEC school. Who gives a shit? I'm not even... I don't remember who did mine. Alex, did you go to yours? Oh, I know who did mine. Oh, I've got it. So if we're talking about good commencement speeches, uh, mine was Kevin Plank, the founder of Under Armour. Oh, wow. Uh, at the very same time, the very same time, that according to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the other uh, SEC, Under Armour was uh, being less than entirely forthright with its own shareholders about how its sales were going. They were during this time, they were pulling forward sales from like quarters ahead of time, which I think is not illegal on its own. So they would like call their customers and say, hey, uh, we're trying to meet these revenue targets or maybe they wouldn't say that, but that's what they were calling for. And we know this because they emailed about it like idiots. Hey, can we uh, send you the stuff now so we can put this money in, in this quarter to meet stock targets? And they just didn't mention this, I guess, to their shareholders. Whoopsie. Uh, Kevin Plank was selling like nine figures worth of stock at an inflated rate before Under Armour crashed a little bit uh, when this came to public light. 
just an incredibly crookish dude uh, who was educating uh, my classmates and me on on what was awaiting us after college. So uh, thanks, Marilyn, I just, for for having Kevin come. To I just looked mine up. Mine was actually probably pretty good, especially considering Ole Miss. Mine was David Halberstrom, so I can't really complain about that. I mean, that's that's an award award that's winning journalist yeah. and author. It's a good writer. Um, my point is this: he wasn't going to get fired for for having a, a gaffe in forgetting to attribute the speech because you can do commencement speeches have quotes in them all the time you just have to quote who it is that you're citing the university of california thing i cannot explain i've met this dude he was as intimidating as a lieutenant general and superintendent at west point as you would think i think i have video of him on my phone where he's speaking to the 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 players after the game in the private locker room moment like this is just so fucking bizarre but I get that South Carolina is not often a functional place and that it's always kind of had a bad reputation as being just sort of a weirdo relative to the rest of the SEC in terms of its administrative stuff. I know they have an identity crisis in football, but this story is just so strange to me because this guy pushed and pushed and hated Will Muschamp from the jump and succeeded in doing something that I guess was ultimately harmful because like we got Shane Beamer now. Like what was the point of all this? Short of y'all talking last week about how there's nothing going on in college football, I think that is the most May thing we could possibly have brought up on this show and dissected. And I'm proud of us. Never, ever, ever, ever have imposter syndrome. Oh, God. Never yeah. Think yeah. Yes. God, yes. <laughs> if, if, if you follow guy, college sports at yes. all, never. Yeah. If a guy like this can be that big a deal in the U.S. military and still unwind his career uh, in this way, you can do. So this anything. guy ruined this guy ruined <laughs> like a a sterling career in the United States military, achieving its highest honors by going to Columbia, South Carolina, and just like kind of fucking stuff up in a couple years. Also, this is a fan base that has a tolerance for like a lot of jackassery, and he exceeded that. You know. Like this isn't a, a fan base that needs you to always say the right thing and you know be politically correct. Uh, you know they like Steve Spurrier just fine there. Uh, this guy just like blew blew past every little guardrail, uh, not past it, into it, through it, in a place where I did, like I didn't think you could get yourself fired with words at the University of South Carolina that like that easily. Like you can't have to do it. Like you have to really commit. I will this say this. Committed. I think it proves. Go ahead, Richard. I was just going to say, I think that it proves that uh, much like Florida's 4-8 season, uh, in which a Skylar Morningweg-led team went to Columbia, South Carolina, with a chance to still win the SEC East, Columbia, South Carolina is the place where dreams go to die. The dude did exactly what you would want if you were a South Carolina fan. I'm talking about Kaslin. He walked into the situation and he just said, damn it, we should be better. We should be as good as we can be. And, and he didn't know that they were South Carolina. He didn't know what the limits were. The problem is he just went about doing every single thing after that in a dumb, dumb way. But congrats to the University of California. I want to thank everyone for listening this week. We are uh, excited to share on our Patreon page later in the week another bonus episode. We've been putting one up every week this week, or every week this month. Uh, That's at splitzoneduo.com. We'd love to have you check it out. It's a great way to support this podcast and to get hours and hours more uh, of listening to the show if you enjoy it. Richard, did I miss anything? Where can the people find you? Oh, they can find me at RJ underscore rights. We doing shout outs on the way out of here? Oh, thank you. We are doing shout outs on the way out of here. 
from from some of the very same uh, a few folks have been incredibly generous to support our patreon uh, in this podcast to the tune of fifty dollars a month at our gold transam level uh, that's a that's as opposed to rogue booster and crooked admin uh, also very generous to all of those folks we appreciate all of you um, jg simply passes along go blue raiders wanted to leave it at that understood uh, and josh black passes along uh, once again uh, on a monthly basis the exact count of the number of days since the last football national title for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, Richard, do you have the show notes in front of you? Do you know how many days it's been? Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, even if I didn't off the top of my head, I know it. It's it's 14,747 as we speak on this day, May 18th, Anno Domini. Uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where depending on when you're listening to the show, and we say this every time, depending on when you're listening to the show, could be 14,900, could be 15,100, could be 16,000 days since George's last won a national championship in football. But the only thing you need to know is that they have not done so in such and such a time. Wow, it's old. pretty old. It's old yeah. as hell. Uh but our metrics do show that most likely it will be between 14,747 and 14,760 or so. Uh, but if you're listening to, that, to this off in the future, like a time capsule, then great. Let us know if Georgia's won a national title. Uh, appreciate y'all. See y'all very soon.